Welcome to Getting Goosebumps, The Power of Storytelling, the weekly podcast helping you to craft stories that inspire, entertain, and convince. Each week, listen to leading industry experts from top marketers and CEOs to producers and writers from the entertainment industry. Learn how to elevate your brand message and spare your audience into action. Hello and welcome to Getting Goosebumps. I'm your host, Brian Adams, and this week I had the pleasure of talking to Anne Zuccardi. Anne is a former writer who suffered from a brain injury and has since become what she explains to be an accidental neuroscientist. Since Anne's injury in 2011, she has been redefining what makes somebody smart. This is a subject she recently discussed in her TEDx talk called The Safe Unsafe. In this week's episode, Anne talks about how the need to relearn things in life uh, has allowed her to develop a new appreciation and understanding of things which has led her to some rather unique and interesting insights. Amongst many things in this episode, Anne advises and explains why we should embrace your inner dork, stepping out of your comfort zone with a childlike mind, and finding levity in a serious moment in order to create meaningful stories. I was absolutely fascinated by this week's conversation. It wasn't what I expected, to be honest, but I'm very grateful for the experience. Anne is incredible, so I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Well, hello and welcome to another show, everyone. Today, we are really lucky to be joined by an accidental neuroscientist, the first of the, uh, the show, um, Anne Zuccardi. Welcome to the show, Anne. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be great to be talking to you, uh, and you've got a, an in, incredible story to tell, and I can't wait to dive straight in. So please do tell us um, how you became an accidental neuroscientist. <laughs> well, as you said, I am the only accidental neuroscientist. <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> and it's a title that I gave to myself. I didn't actually go to school to become one. <laughs> um, I became an accidental neuroscientist after a brain injury in 2011. Um, I fell in a bathtub in Germany and sustained a brain injury. Didn't know it at the time. Um, but following that, the, the past four and a half years following that, I have... Um, learned a lot about how the brain works, about neuroplasticity, about brain injury, about creativity. Um, and that's a hot topic right now. So I, I learned that I actually became more knowledgeable than many of the healthcare professionals that I was seeing through all of my reading and stumbling and stumbling during my recovery. Um, I learned that a lot of the things that I was learning by accident were actually backed up by science. So I decided that I could dub myself <laughs> accidental neuroscientist. And that's been my moniker for the past couple of years as a speaker. Wow. So what sort of things were you learning by, by accident? Um, well, the whole neuroplasticity thing, neuroplasticity is the idea that our brains throughout a lifetime have the ability to change and form new neural connections, new pathways. Um, 30 years ago, if we had been talking, we would have believed that our brains after a certain age are just 
set. That's it. You, you know, you have what you have and, and you can't change things. Now we know that our brains throughout a lifetime do have the ability to change. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what neuroplasticity is. And after my brain injury, um, there were certain things that I couldn't do anymore. Um, I worked in corporate communications. So reading and writing were very important parts of of my job. And I had a lot of trouble with them. So just sort of by uh, stumbling and bubbling and creatively trying to figure out new ways to do the things that I wanted to still be able to do, I found new ways to do them. And that was neuroplasticity at work. I didn't have a name for it at the time. But then after I started reading and learning, I learned that 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 indeed was what was happening. And so my question has become, so I figured out how to do things in a new way. How do I teach other people how to think more creatively and do things differently um, without (laughs) them having to sustain a brain injury. So that's what my focus is now. Oh, good. So you don't have to have a brain injury to learn what you've done. So that's, well, that's good. Exactly. Because your TED Talk is called uh, How a Brain Injury Made You Smarter. Because you you labeled yourself as a sort of a traditional um, smart person because you were knowledgeable and great in school and all the rest of it. Now, is that is that title because you've redefined what smart is in your own mind? Absolutely. Um, prior to my brain injury, I had always defined myself as smart by sort of, like you said, conventional standards, by the grades I received in school, by the job I had, by uh, how much money was in my checkbook, <laughs> by how much memorization and 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 fact reciting that I could do. Um, and I, I, it really took me down a notch when I had the brain injury and I couldn't do a lot of those things anymore. Um, but I realized through my recovery process that I was figuring out without even thinking about it, I was figuring out how to do old tasks and old uh, things that I loved in new ways. Mm -hmm. And that is how I define smart now, our ability to adapt, our curiosity, our ability to uh, learn and create throughout a lifetime. So um, start with curiosity. So the injury that you sustained, which I believe is, um, it's a good brilliant name, is it a coup contra coup head injury because it's two uh-huh. points of impact. So I've been doing my research. So that's cool. How is that similar to um, to stroke victims? How they need to relearn and rebuild um, parts of their brain and, and learn how to do things again? Is it is it similar? Absolutely. Um, you know, mine was a, a physical injury, an accident, and, and you know, and a stroke, uh, a stroke person. Um, it, it, their brains are also impacted or damaged in some way. Um, I don't know much about stroke, but the the concept is the same. Um, I, I've watched stroke victims. I don't like to use the word victims, but stroke survivors. Um, I like. I've watched them. Uh, many of them use singing as therapy, music therapy, and, right, and yeah. that really helps our brains make new connections so yeah it's the same sort of concept because mm, part of your recovery was basically 
you were advised to do virtually nothing for for three months. <laughs> just just stop your brain doing anything. How was that? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> it was I can't imagine awful. that. You know, for someone whose brain is constantly firing, yeah. it was like it was forced meditation, which I'm not very good at. Yeah. <laughs> You know, tell tell someone to not watch TV, not read, not go anywhere, not do anything. And, of course, all you can think of is all the things, things you want to do and all the shows <laughs> you want to watch on TV. Wow. And it sounds like your road to recovery, you've kind of, you've completely proved that that's not the case. And you talk about neuroplasticity. And you know, um, just from, from my research, there seems to be three ways to change the brain chemical, structural, and, and functional. And that can only happen by actually uh, using the brain and stimulating it and, and teaching the brain to do to do new things again, right? Right, right. I mean, it's kind of like if you, you know, if you had an injury, an athletic injury, let's say you uh, pulled an Achilles tendon or a hamstring or something, right? You'd, you'd rest it for a little while at first, and then you'd have to get back, uh, back into your exercise routine. Yeah, like physio. Right? It's the same thing it's with the, the same brain. thing. Mm-hmm. Cool. So you've obviously take you've been on um, quite a tough journey, and you've you know the, the, the positives of that. If you've you've learned a lot along along the way, um, and I like the fact you talk about resilience, creativity, curiosity. Can you give us one one aspect that you're probably most proud of, or you you cherish more, or appreciate more, having um, had your experience? Oh yes, yes. I um the the biggest thing that I have learned is a new sense of um empathy for other people. If you met me in person, you would never know that I had had a brain injury or that there's anything wrong inside my brain that I struggle with things. You would never know that because I'm quite high functioning. And so and and I certainly don't go around telling people about it. On the other hand, um, you I look at other people now and I, I realize that you don't know what's going on with somebody else. You never know what's going on inside their brains, inside their hearts, with their lives. And so it really behooves us to treat everyone compassionately and kindly from the get-go, no matter no matter what, because we don't know what's going on. Invisible disabilities. We don't know what other invisible disabilities other people have. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about high-functioning um, brain activity. One thing that bothers me personally quite a lot, actually, is this idea of our brain working on autopilot because it's so smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, actually... Um, by consciously trying to be aware of what's going on, it's almost like slowing down time. And it sounds like um, you've had the the autopilot unplugged from, from your life in, in certain respect. You've had to learn new things consciously and all the rest of it. But does that give you a new appreciation for sort of what's happening, just sort of basic events and interactions with other people and that kind of thing? Yes. that's You said that really well, actually, the, the autopilot thing. Um I have, uh, I used to be on autopilot. I used to think that I was able to multitask and push myself beyond what my, you know, brain was really capable of, even when I was tired. The new appreciation I have is I, I can't do that anymore. I cannot. When I'm, when I'm tired, 
my brain shuts down. I can't even utter a lucid sentence properly. Um, so uh, what I've learned is that we truly do not multitask. We think we can, but we're not, and our brains weren't designed that way. So the thing that I have learned to do is to be more present and to really focus on one task at a time. Am I good at it? No. <laughs> you know, there's always, like everybody else, there's always a million interruptions and, and, and things vying for my attention. And where I used to be able to sort of juggle all those things, I simply physically cannot do that anymore. So it's one thing at a time. And in that becoming more present, um, I feel like I've become more present and more <laughs> and more um, observant of the world around me, um, much better at active listening, you know, sort of listening to people without having an agenda about what I'm going to say next. Because <laughs> I can't, I, my, my brain can't do that. So and sometimes, you know, sometimes that means, you know, I, 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 I mess up and I, I don't know what's going to happen next, but that's okay. That's okay. That's, that's oh. part of Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think the um, the subject of being more present is is really fascinating, actually, because um, I think a lot of us are guilty. I mean, how many times you go to a restaurant and you see two people, they've taken the time to have a meal together, but actually they're on the phone. What's going yes. on? Yes. So, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if our brain was um, a battery and a laptop, the laptop is on 24-7 now. And I joke with my friends, like, if I get up to go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. in the morning, there's a good chance I'll answer an email. Yes. So, you know, it's crazy. So, <laughs> we all do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, our brain is on more these days, you know. Um, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, says, you know, he, he talks about hustling and working hard. But actually, uh, 20 years ago, when he thought he was working hard, it is nothing compared to now because – you know, there's, there's more opportunity, more stimulus. So what's your number one recommendation for people who want to be more present and in the moment? Hmm. Um, you so know, I don't think it's easy. I really don't think it's easy. these days. It is not easy at all. And, you know, and there's a lot of, uh, stuff out there that's popular now about mindfulness and meditation and that's all really wonderful but how do you how do you do it i mean it's different <laughs> for everybody right yep. um and 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 sometimes even that can seem overwhelming like oh my god i'm supposed to be mindful i'm, I'm supposed to meditate i don't even know how to do that oh my gosh oh my gosh you know and and really it doesn't have to be that complicated taking a walk in a beautiful place is mindful. It's mindfulness. Our brains work better. Science backs this up. Our brains work better when we are surrounded by beauty, when our bodies are moving. Um, so really, taking a walk is meditation. <laughs> taking a walk without your smartphone and, and just noticing what's around you. So get up from your desk and take a walk outside, take a walk around your house, whatever. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I've been doing lately, and this, this might be a little bit weird for some people, but I have been floating in um, uh, like a sensory deprivation flotation tank. And for me, uh, that has really helped me have, blocking out all of my other senses and just floating in this very peaceful place for an hour um, has really helped me teach my brain what it needs to do when I'm not in the tank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Wow, that so, sounds um, really relaxing. Oh, it's wonderful. I love doing it. That's my new obsession. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, um, as, you were, as you were talking about being present and sort of mindfulness and just going for uh-huh. a walk, it reminded me of one of my favorite movie quotes of all time, which actually um, comes from Ferris Bueller. So um, <laughs> Ferris Bueller says, and there's a good segue at the end of this as well, so there's a reason for this. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around every once in a while, you could miss it. And I think that kind of sums up what we were saying. But in your TED Talk, and here comes the segue, mm-hmm. um, you talk about Tom Hanks in Big, which is <laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm definitely a sort of um, 80s movie um, aficionado, I think. Uh, I love 80s movies. So Josh Baskin, the character in that movie, why are we so endeared to Tom Hanks in that film? Oh, because, you know, he he's in a big body. He's in an adult body, but he's still his childlike self. So he's in this corporate position. And, and this is what I was alluding to in my TED Talk. Um, he's in this corporate position, but he's got this child's mind. So all of these corporate folks are sitting around making decisions. They're all very stiff and very conventional. He, you know, he, he just... He doesn't care. He just says things that are very childlike and very curious. It's about curiosity, right? Putting ourselves in that childlike place and and being playful and humorous. And I've been, um, since in the last year or so, I've been studying therapeutic humor and playfulness and how play and humor impact our brains and enhance learning. Um, So I just love that movie for that reason. Um, Putting ourselves back in a childlike place is is brilliant for our brains and we don't know how to do it. Take your child to work one day and look at your job from from a child's point of view that 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 can help. Wow, that that would terrify me. Actually, I'm not quite sure. What... <laughs> but you know, I think I think you nailed it there. You know, and I think it is a curiosity, um, but there's a naivety as well, isn't there? And you know, do we have do do we do we have a bias of experience that's actually bad for us if we're not if we're not if we're not careful? And and you know, how do we how do we learn or remember to be a little bit more curious in in everyday life? Question. Um, I I uh, I dealt with that topic in my second TEDx talk. Um, I call it the safe unsafe. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. What does that mean? It, it's about exposing our brains. Our brains need exposure to novelty in order to grow. Right? When we do the same thing over and over and over. After a while, it's not novel anymore. So, you know, the wonder we felt at um, doing something for the first time when we've done it for the hundredth time is no longer there. Um, so I, by by embracing what I call the safe unsafe, it's about trying new uh, things that feel slightly unsafe to us. I mean, not putting ourselves into unsafe, you know, physically unsafe situations. But um, by just stepping out of our comfort zones a little bit, you know, learning something, uh, learning a new language, learning a new instrument, learning or going somewhere we've never been before, eating a food that's like bizarre to us, um, doing something that challenges us just a little tiny bit every day and doing it with a child's mind like Tom Hanks did in Big Remember when he ate the little, um, I just had this vision of him eating the little corn on the cob 
thing. Oh, that is just a bag. special moment in that but, movie. Like, is... I, I call that in in my uh, in one of my keynotes. I call that embracing your inner dork, not being afraid <laughs> to look silly. <laughs> <laughs> and I do it quite well these days. <laughs> yeah. the, the only thing is, I've got quite a, a really strong outer dork. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that. I look for that now. And and when I speak, when I do a keynote, I I do a lot of things to try to uh, interact with people and encourage them to to do that a little bit more. Because once one person does it, then other people feel safe doing it. Um, in one of my keynotes, I actually have people eat their lunch with their non-dominant hand um, because that encourages neuroplasticity, right? You're changing the hand you eat with, right? And it's hard. It's uncomfortable. You look silly. And it's really hard to do. And But if you're willing to embrace your inner dork and make a mess, I always say you have to be willing to make a mess, then it's fun. So I've, I've done this at keynotes where I actually people, I, I'll give people a hashtag to do that, then tweet about it and take pictures of them doing it and, and talk about what that experience felt like. So it, it, it'll make people more comfortable and, you know, and that's something, that's a neuroplasticity exercise that we can do with our kids at home, right? It's it's really simple. It teaches our brains a new way to do things. You do it the first time, it's hard, it's novel. You do it the hundredth time, it's it's not so hard anymore. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it's got food involved, I'm willing to give it a go. Um... <laughs> I challenge you to do it for dinner tonight. <laughs> <laughs> It's brilliant, though, isn't it? But um, we're, we're moving on really nicely to an area that I'm very curious about. Um, and hopefully we can be creative in our, in our discussion. Okay. Um, in terms of your learning and your new outlook and your sort of dedication to embrace the inner dork and the, the child and the, the sort of naive side of, side of life, how has that um, changed how you communicate, um, whether consciously or subconsciously, to, to other people? Hmm. I, oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I have become, you know, as adults, I think the, the, the more serious we become as adults, we're, we're very much afraid to look silly in front of other people. Um, and I, and this is still hard for me. I, I have decided that this inner dork thing is very much part of who I am. It's the way I grew up. I grew up in a very funny, silly family. But as I got older, you know, I sort of learned that that wasn't appropriate in the work world. And um, and so I've become much more, uh, let's say, effusive <laughs> with my sense of humor <laughs> in interacting with other people. And, and I think, and, and that it's hard because you never know how someone's going to respond to it. You know, if I go and do a keynote in front of a room of uh, bankers, for instance, it's terrifying to me because, you know, I think they're very serious and they might not <laughs> think, think it's funny, but the message is that, um, that humor and play and laughter help our brains and they help us learn and 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 I try to infuse fun and play into everything I do um even you know I'm I'm dealing with a dying parent in a nursing home and you know and and you think that's very serious and oh he's dying you've got to yeah. 
no, no, my father, you know, it's my father and he's the one who taught me about humor. So I'm going to, yes, I'm very sad that my father is ill and dying, but, but there's some humor in it too. And, and I, I like to find the humor in it. So it, it keeps us all sane and healthy and happy. <laughs> that's really nice. That, that's really nice to hear. And I think, you know, we could all take a leaf out of that book actually, because whatever the circumstance, um, you know, one of the messages loud and clear there was it's still okay to look for the humor. Um, yes. And I guess um, when you're on the receiving end of that, I would imagine you would appreciate it as well, right? Absolutely. You know, the, the biggest thing that I've learned is that it is possible for us to hold two very opposite emotions at the same time. I can feel sad and I can feel grief, but I can also find some levity in the moment. And I mean, it, that's the beauty of being human, that we can do that. It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a gift. So how, um, obviously, uh, this the whole show, this, this is about storytelling. And you've got lots of great stories, which hopefully are sort of um, challenging the audience to just look at their own lives and um, and how, how they interact with people, how they even think about the you know think them, about themselves and make their way through their day. But from a storytelling point of view, um, is there any connection there with how you um, how you use communication or put a thought process together to build up your short term and long term memory? Is there anything you've learned from that perspective which which we can learn from? Ha! Huh, let's see. I think. Um... Yeah, from the storytelling point of view, what I have learned is that, and I've always known this intellectually, but now um, I have the the science to back it up. Um, Our brains will remember information better if they are, if it is attached to a story. So, um, you know, if I were to be talking about neuroplasticity and brain science and neuroscience as a scientist, and I was throwing out all kinds of uh, scientific terms to you and making you memorize the regions of the brain, you would, you'd probably be bored in about three seconds flat, and nobody would be listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but if I attach it to a story, <laughs> um, you can remember the story. You're, oh, yeah, you might not remember the exact part of the brain or the term, but you will remember the story and the concept. Yeah, and, you know, I've always known that intellectually as a communicator in my, you know, former corporate world as a writer. Um, I always knew that, but now I've like lived it. And, um, and so I would like to use my story as a platform to talk about creativity and innovation and resilience and curiosity and and all of those things. And you talked about empathy um, earlier on, and mm-hmm. all of our guests at some point mentioned the E-word empathy, which ultimately is what we strive for in, in, in communication if we're trying to sort of land a message uh, and engage with our audience, I guess. But mm-hmm. given your very unique journey, um, do you think... It's definitely it definitely comes across loud and clear. You've got a sort of greater appreciation for for the simpler things, and and possibly now what you would say are the more important things in life. But so given your given your journey, does that mean that you're uh, you have a, a natural ability to empathise a little bit more than than you did have previously? Oh yes, yes. But an interesting thing that I I've learned about empathy is that we have 
I mean, we all have this. We all have this ability. Um, and it's just like any other ability. We need to nurture it. So um, and what I have learned, scientifically speaking, is that we all have what are called mirror neurons in our brain. And mirror neurons allow us to feel empathy. So when we mirror what someone else is saying back to them or mirror their actions, um, something happens and there's a connection between us that and, and we feel empathy. So now that I understand how that works scientifically, I'm, I'm, I've been playing with it. And, <laughs> and, and combined with the fact that, as I said earlier, I never know what someone is dealing with on the inside. Um, and it, it always pays to be compassionate and empathic with them. Um, it's just, it's really sort of uh, built my empathy muscle up. <laughs> I like the idea that we've got an empathy muscle. Can, I like the idea of that. I don't really have an empathy muscle. <laughs> no, I think it should be a thing. I really do. But Hopefully, yeah. But the the mirror neurons—that's a new one on me. I know I've I've studied um, neurocoupling a little bit, and I guess I guess that's where the the mirroring takes care of. Yeah. So if somebody's telling a story, we get in the same state, and we can imagine it, and and the empathy sort of occurs there. Depending on how big your muscle is, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> now, two other things that we talk about from a storytelling point of view quite a lot on this show is creativity and curiosity. So I totally get that. But Anne, resilience. Talk to me about 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 the resilience aspect. How does resilience um, play a, a role in communication and making us smart? Hmm. Resilience is, you know, resilience is our ability to bounce back from whatever, um, you know, whatever situations or challenges life life gives us. And we all know that that's that's simple. Um, How it helps us uh, in becoming smarter is, you know, you have to be to be resilient, you, you, you have to be a little creative. You have to work through um, your challenges and be able to uh, create a new story around them. Um, you know, this horrible thing happened to me. You know, I could, you know, I could be sitting here right now um, and, and crying about how my brain doesn't work the way it used to anymore, but I've recreated a career and a life. Has it been easy? No. Has it been fun? No, not all the time. (laughs) Do I wish that, you know, I had some of my old abilities back? Yeah, of course I do. (laughs) But, you know, resilience is that ability to take what you've got and, and, and do something creative with, you know, the lemons that life gives you at the risk of sounding Pollyanna-ish, I don't want to get into making lemons out of lemonade or lemonade out of lemons, <laughs> but, but, but that's essentially what it is. And I think, you know, when we become more resilient, we just, uh, when we are use creativity, we, we become more resilient just naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess, um, again, from a storytelling point of view, one thing that we talk about all the time is, this idea of um, adversity and friction, and, and everyone likes a good underdog story as well, right? So, oh, gosh. Um, so I, I guess that's um, that's a big part of your story, battling back from um, the lemons that were thrown at you, um, right? You know, do, do you think that's why people um, 
enjoy and engage when when you tell them that that that's that story because the adversity that you've overcome is incredible right yeah um i mean but in the whole scheme of brain injuries there are people who are who are much more who are much worse than i am and you know and i i struggled with that at the beginning i thought well you know i'm not in a wheelchair i'm not you know i can still feed myself i can still drive a car so you know there are people who are much worse and i i I remember thinking well you know who wants to hear my story because you know there's so many more dramatic stories and you know i had to get rid of that um I think, you know, the thing about a good story, as you said, you know, the, the hero's journey, you know, fighting something and then coming back. Um, the thing about a good story is that any person should be able to, if you're going to be effective with it, should be able to see themselves in, in the role that you were in and say, oh, yeah, I can do that and figure out a way to apply it to their own lives. And that's that's what I hope to do with my story. Not everybody has had a brain injury. I don't just speak to the brain injury audience. Um, I want to speak to people in general about creativity and reinvention and resilience. So, um, you know, I want people to be able to see themselves like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've had some some setbacks and I could do what she did. And, and you know, that's that's what makes a good story for people to be able to see themselves in your role. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, your story isn't over by any means. Um, and one <laughs> thing that you said um is smart isn't about knowledge smart is about craving to learn so so what what does lie ahead for you Anne? what what are you still craving to learn and and you know what's next for you that's a good question i um <laughs> i have to laugh about that because i i was just thinking about that this morning um I am 54 years old. I'm at a point, you know, I recreated my career at age 50. And I'm at a point in my life where a lot of my friends are sort of winding down, getting ready to retire. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm just kind of getting going now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stage in life. And um, so what lies ahead for me is like, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, my 22 year old daughter who just graduated from university. I'm like, Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this. And (laughs) I I want to go back to school. So, um, what lies ahead for me, I'm thinking about going back to school and getting a master's degree. Um, I, um, am working on building my speaking business as a keynoter. Um, I would love to just, you know, make my, entire living doing keynotes all over the world. <laughs> I do not want to sit in a, you know, a gated community somewhere in retirement and <laughs> golf all day. That would just bore <laughs> me to death. <laughs> wow. That's, there's certainly um, a lot left to your story then, it sounds like. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I really enjoyed um, your TED Talk and the thought of you um, continuing your journey and educating more people and or edutaining people actually is a new a new word of what learned recently and so i'm trying to use that more um i think i think that would be that'd be fantastic so so um we're, we're just about out of time but where can people find out more about you and um and also is there anything else that you'd like to draw our audience's attention to or leave us with um Well, I'd like to uh, challenge your listeners to do what I talked to you about earlier. Um, Enjoy your next meal with your non-dominant hand. That means if you are right-handed, eat with your left hand. Give it a try. You're practicing neuroplasticity. 
Um, so that's the first thing. Where can people find me? My website is anzacardi.com. Um, I am working on a new website. My website that's up now is horrible. And, <laughs> but I am all over social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. I'm very active on social media. So um, that's a really good way to follow me. I post a lot of good content about neuroplasticity and creativity. Uh, and, and my new website will be up soon. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, Anne, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you and I certainly will be looking out for more TED Talks and keynotes in the future. Okay. Thank you, Brian. Thanks a lot. Well, that's all we've got time for for another show. Uh, but guys, join me again next week when we have more story-related expertise. Thanks for listening. So that's it for another week. But before you go, don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And for a chance to win a copy of our best-selling book, Getting Goosebumps, simply subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Or tweet us your thoughts using hashtag Getting Goosebumps. Would you like to pick the next guest? Let me know who you'd love to hear on the show by emailing me at brian at ph-creative.com.